This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On this episode of The Darker Side of Boxing, we discuss the untimely and grisly demise of a true boxing hero, a warrior by every stretch of the imagination, a fighter that provided us some of the greatest in-ring performances that you've ever seen. But outside of the ring, like many fighters, he had his own troubles. He was involved in multiple incidents with the police, he had issues with alcohol problems, people even said he was drug dependent. And then he took a trip to Brazil, which would lead to the untimely demise of the legendary Arturo Thundergate. And in this episode, we're here to sit down and discuss whether it was murder or whether it was suicide. episode for the darker side of boxing and another case which we've enjoyed in some ways sitting down to research for this episode but in other ways it's been a harrowing tale and a difficult one to go through just because we're both massive fans of the late Atoro Gatti. We absolutely loved his fights, we've done our legendary night on him and Mickey Ward and we, we've really enjoyed going back over his career, the positive aspects of his career. But this episode, Johnson, is obviously all about life outside of the ring for Arturo Gatti. And then ultimately, the grisly demise that happened and also what happened as a result. Yeah, it, it really was interesting beginning back into the archives of, of exactly what happened with Gatti outside the ring. We all know what happened inside it and the build up to certain fights, sometimes epic battles that he was in. Yeah, it was a really tough one to to investigate, really. I mean, there, there was enough source out there for us to, to watch and, and to read about, but it, it is just a fascinating story of what happened to Toro Gatti in his last fight, if you like. It's just really intriguing 
obviously, and it's been fascinating to, to look into and try and dig into this and get, for, get the information we need for this pod. And, and I, I, I believe that it's going to be a, a great listen for the people that are dying to find out those little in-between situations with Gatti where it's not necessarily documented as much as when he was this true warrior, this true fighter. It's really fascinating stuff and, and, and it is really tragic story. So the way we do these episodes is in a chronological time order. So we're going to look at his early days, incidents outside of the ring, notable things that have happened that have, have ultimately give this perception of uh, Arturo Gatti outside of the ring. And then obviously we'll go into the meat of the episode, which is unfortunately his untimely demise and, and investigate and then talk about what actually happened and any conspiracy theories that were threw out there and also any reports that was thrown out there as well. So it's going to be a really compelling episode for people to listen to, especially fans of Arturo Gatti, of course. So starting at the very beginning... Arturo Gatti was born in Calabria in Italy, which is a coastal city that occupies the toe of the country's boost-shaped peninsula. And he was born on the 15th of April, 1972. Now, Gatti didn't live in this beautiful part of Italy for very long. When he was a toddler, his parents, Ida and Giovanni, decided to move Arturo and his older brother, Joe, to Montreal, the largest city in Canada's Quebec province. Now, Giovanni... And Ida Gatti had another son, Fabrizio Gatti, while starting their new life in Montreal. Giovanni was an electrician and a boxing enthusiast, which no doubt was what drew his two sons into a boxing gym as children. Now, Arturo was six years old, the first time he wandered into a gym behind his 11-year-old brother Joe, who would also become a professional boxer and a world title challenger. Gatti was eight when he had his first amateur fight. In those early years or early days, Arturo, he was mainly interested in playing around rather than actually taking boxing seriously, uh, being a young lad of eight years old. And Canada's 1976 Olympic coach, boxing coach, who was Abraham Pervin, recalled in the documentary Arturo Gatti, the people's champion, and he said he liked to come to the gym and work out, fall around with the boys, tease them. He used to chase them around the ring and they couldn't catch him. Gatti once reminisced, I just did it because it was a sport. I played soccer and hockey in Canada. It was fun, and knowing how to fight was great for me growing up because no bullies bugged me, and I was a small guy. So a nice early start in terms of his boxing career, but obviously not taking it too seriously at that young age. Now, Gatti attended a French school in Montreal and grew up speaking French, Italian, and English. He was well liked by his fellow students and teachers, achieving high marks, but he had little interest in school. When Gatti was 15 years old, Giovanni Gatti died after a freak accident at work. The news was obviously hard for Arturo to take. After taking some time to grieve and assess his options, he did then decide to take his boxing seriously. Something his mum said would make his dad proud, Gatti said. After my father died, I took some time to think about what I'm going to do. That was when he decided that boxing would bring me money and I can make a career out of it. Gatti went on to win six Canadian Golden Glove titles and was a member of the Canadian national team and was training to represent Canada in the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. But in 1991, he lost in the national championships in a, to 10-time Canadian champion. It was at that moment, age 19, that he decided to turn over and become professional. 
instead of finishing his amateur career. And, and, and basically that was down to the fact that, as I say, this guy, 10-time Canadian champion, and he did say himself that he just couldn't, he didn't suit the style where, you know, you can hit a few times and move away. And it just didn't agree with Vittorio. And, and obviously we know as a fighter what he became. And you can understand why he moved away from the amateur game as quickly as he did. He did finish his career with an 86 and 14 career in the amateur game. And Yvonne Mikel, uh, coaching the Canadian team, also said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. But I think I was wrong. And he did laugh after that because obviously Gatti went on to, to be a successful professional. Now, after moving from Montreal to Jersey City, New Jersey in 1991, he made his professional debut against Jose Gonzalez on June the 10th, 1991 at the Meadowlands Exposition Centre in Sicasus, New Jersey. Speaking of his first opponent, Gatti said, I looked across the ring and I saw him. I was like, oh man, I was scared to death. Here was a guy fresh out of the can with a ponytail and tattoos all over his body. I was a teenager and never saw anything like him before in my life. Gatti went on to end the fight in the third round with his trademark left hook and go on to become the darling of the blue-collar state fight fans of America's East Coast. The boxing photographer... Tom Casino monitored Gatti's career from the beginning, describing him as the poster boy of courage and heart. And that is exactly what Gatti was about. And, and that is a spot on comment from Tom Casino there. And just four years after turning pro, Gatti won his first world title. It was the RBF Super featherweight title against Tracy Harris Patterson on December 15, 1995, and he won that by decision at Madison Square Garden, New York City, who he would beat again two years later. Now, following the victory, Gatti did sign a multi-fight deal with HBO to fight on broadcast, and Pat Lynch, who was his manager, was extremely excited with the possibility of having his fighter on such a legendary television network, and he did say, HBO was the king of boxing. We thought, if we get a contract with them, We'd made it. Gatti was back at the garden in a candidate for the fight of the year by Ring Magazine, making his first defence against Wilson Rodriguez, who was much unfancied. Gatti eventually knocked him out in the sixth round after a really terrific battle. Well, two years on from that, Arturo actually had his driving licence suspended three times in three different states for driving while intoxicated, or otherwise known as in America, a DUI. And he was actually banned from driving for 10 years before another incident in July of 1997. Only five days before, he would begin training for the fight against Gabriel Ruilas. Gatti was pulled over about three in the morning in Union City, New Jersey, for speeding, running two red lights, and then another two red lights while the police was in pursuit. The chase ended when a cabbie who was stopped at a red light kept Gatti from driving through, allowing another squad car to block the intersection. Now when Gatti got out of his car, he stumbled onto the pavement, pissed out of his head, and once he was handcuffed, he became violent, threatening to kill the officer by shooting him and then knocking him out. So Gatti was charged with assaulting a police officer, resisting arrest, eluding police and making terroristic threats, driving while intoxicated, refusing to take a breathalyzer test and several driving violations. A crazy incident there for for Gatti. Obviously, he's struggling a little bit there. He's had a bit of a bad night there, I think. Wasn't disciplined enough, obviously, Gabriel Roulez was, was a great competitor. And yeah, interesting that this DWI come up 
just the start of, of what Gatty was like outside of the room, mainly to do with his drinking and other stuff, which we'll go into. But going back to the boxing, and after making two further defences of the IBF World Super Featherweight title, Gatty was involved in the 1997 Fight of the Year by Ring Magazine, where he made his last defence at 130 pounds against veteran, the former Super Featherweight champion, Roulez. So it wasn't great preparation, obviously, with that DWI, and this fight was at Caesars Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. Once again, Gatti did land that trademark left to a confraud. Roulez, although he did make it to his feet, the referee did stop the fight in the end. So although he had, obviously, bad preparations with, with that situation, getting arrested and all those different charges against him, um, he did recover to win the fight. It's crazy that he actually went on to recover to to win that fight after everything. So multiple charges in that particular incident there, and absolutely crazy. He, he was he was on one that night. He was clearly on one that <laughs> night because he ended up getting getting his driving license suspended for what ten years, taken off him for ten years as a result of that right. one crazy night, which was absolutely mental. So Gatti would find himself in trouble wherever he went. And people closest to him could see that he was losing control outside of the ring in the same way he would lose it in the ring. Lou DiBella, who was the former HBO executive and now the CEO of DiBella Entertainment, described Gatti in 1999 to the New York Times. And he said, his lifestyle is fairly wild outside the ring. If he wasn't prize fighting, he'd be in trouble because he'd be fighting anyway. Because Arturo is reckless. He is into having a good time. But sometimes he doesn't think. And I don't think Arturo will hurt anyone but himself. He just has a sixth sense for beef. Yeah, really interesting statement already from the better, considering what, what we will go on to say later. Definitely something that is quite fascinating, saying that in 1999. And, and with the fame and the endless pot of money, he was obviously partying hard, staggering out, out of Manhattan nightclubs. And on occasions he would show up at long-time assistant trainer Mike Skoronsky's house in the early hours of the morning, banging on the door, looking to extend his night out. Now, Skoronsky told a newspaper of Gatti's partying exploits, and he said when he played golf, he'd be drunk by the eighth hole. Living life in the fast lane took its toll on Gatti, who in 1997 was forced to relinquish the IBF Super Featherweight title because... He could no longer make that 130 pound weight or the 94 pound weight weight limit for the division. So he decided to move up to lightweight, albeit I'm guessing probably drinking too much there, shall I say? <laughs> oh, this paints you a picture of it, of of what Gatti was like outside of the ring. You, you know, like Debella said, really, he was as reckless outside of the ring at times as he was inside the ring which made for for great viewing for boxing fans of course now in 1998 live on hbo gatti was left devastated when the referee stopped his lightweight debut against angel manfredi at the convention hall in atlantic city due to a bad cut he found the bottom of a bottle and hard partying as the best way of easing the pain and depression and by the time he was preparing to fight the undefeated philadelphia and ivan robinson that summer he was headed for big trouble now, Skoronsky recalled at the time, you'd get three or four weeks of training out of him before a fight. The rest of the time, he'd be out drinking. He was depressed, and he was just going through the motions. So seven months after Gatti's first defeat, he was back in the ring. Once more, at the convention hall in Atlantic City, and once again, 
on HBO for a 10-rounder against Robinson. Now, Pat Lynch was against the idea of fighting the 1992 US Olympian, but Kathy Duva fought different, thinking Robinson would be a tough fight, but that he was not on the same level as Gatti. Gatti went on to lose by decision, and six months later, he went on to lose the rematch. Speaking to the press in the days leading up to the second fight, Skoronsky said that Gatti was drinking wine out of a paper cup, and people thought it was soda. <laughs> wow, what the hell? There's a story, I never knew that. Obviously taking the drink now into press conferences, something that's <laughs> not quite right. I mean, we've, we, we've discussed this Robinson fight. So interesting to, to hear these stories. This is something we didn't mention. We did our Legendary Nights pod with, with Gatty Walden and build up to that. So, yeah, that's really interesting when, when, I, when we discovered that. And, and once again, I, I mean, this, this the Angel Man Freedy fight was the one that set him off. And, and this is, it sort of took a chain reaction. And, and Gatty was arrested around this time for assaulting a man that suggested a threesome with a former girlfriend. And George Kimball actually wrote in the Irish Times, he said, the two of his wrists were usually his best friend. But in this case, they betrayed him. It turned out he had hit the would-be swinger so hard that the telltale marks on Gatty's knuckle perfectly matched the pattern on the staples of the guy's hair implants. So during the arrest, Gatty threatened the police officer once again, something you just mentioned earlier, Sean, and had to enter a recreation program to settle the case. And then in a more serious incident, Gatty was actually stabbed in the back in a fight over a girl in Miami with the story making the papers. Now, he was left ashamed when it all came out in the press. And Scotty said that Gatty told him, I would never do this stuff if my father was alive. Pat Lynch reiterated these troubled times, saying it was a tough time for us all. His life outside of the ring is just going down this this one-way street to oblivion. And it's quite obvious at this period of time that he was really struggling with his demons outside of the ring, even though the fights inside of the ring were absolutely fantastic and being voted for and nominated for fights of the year. So it's crazy to hear the backstory to, to, to what was really going on outside of the ring. So not only did he punch a guy with a wig he ends up getting stabbed in the back as well, literally, and after a fight in Miami. And again, it's over a girl. So he just he just partied, partied way, way too hard. Now back in the ring, and after three routine victories at the welterweight division from 1999 to 2000, Gatti took on Oscar De La Hoya in March 2001 at the MGM Grand Las Vegas. De La Hoya was just too good and too strong for Gatti, who was annihilated over the course of five rounds before his corner threw in the title. Now, Gatti decided he was not ready to end his career after this savage beating. Instead, he changed his manager from Hector Rocha to Buddy McGirt, looking for a new beginning, to be more of a boxer than a slugger. Ironically, Buddy McGirt was a former IBF junior welterweight champion who had knocked out Arturo's older brother Joe in 1995. Now, McGirt's value went beyond the ring. His disciplined training regime kept Gatti out of the clubs, and out of trouble. So from May 18th, 2002, to June the 7th, 2003, Arturo Gatti and Irish Mickey Ward embarked in one of the greatest trilogies in professional boxing. And it's one that we've covered 
for our Legendary Nights quite recently. So if you go and check out our Legendary Nights podcast at Legend Night Pod on Twitter, you'll be able to go and listen to the tale of Arturo Gatti and Mickey Ward. Absolutely fantastic trilogy of fights. And it was an absolutely brutal but romantic tale between these two guys that tried to kill each other inside the ring, only to become the greatest of friends after it all ended. I had three amazing fights with Arturo Gatti and... Um... And doing that became a very good friend. It showed that two guys, we can actually try to fight, win, and uh, showed that we respected each other. And he opens up the curtain and says, we got someone here that wants to say hi to you. The next bet over is a Toro. He's laying there. He was getting stitched also, I believe. Right, and he put me there. First thing out of his mouth, he says, Mickey, you okay? And that showed me what a kid, what a guy. Yeah, it really is a tremendous tale and free great fights and yeah absolutely you know if you didn't like your boxing I know this isn't we're, we're, it's more crime side of things this one the story away from the ring but please do go and check it out it's another it's a great pod and, and yeah and, and the interesting was that Buddy McGirt coming in I think Buddy McGirt with his, his training regimes obviously Hellgate kept him out of trouble he was on a downward spiral and one thing we did say in just, just to mention that podcast one last time is the fact we said that Gatti was always a fighter that had this potential to be world-class, but he never was. And I think now, just these early stages of this pod, I think we can understand why he didn't become world-class because of the troubles he was having outside the ring. Well, that's it, isn't it? Obviously, it's quite evident already, and we're only partway through the episode, that the troubles were haunting him outside of the ring. They really, really were haunting him outside of the ring. And he did go on to become the WBC like welterweight champion in 2004 and made two successful defences before losing to the former super featherweight and lightweight world champion Floyd Mayweather Jr. on the 25th of June 2005. And again, like he did against Oscar De La Hoya, he took a horrific beating and got his corner through in the towel after he was beaten around the ring, ending his title reign via six-round technical knockout. In the meantime, outside of the ring, Gatti met a new girlfriend by the name of Erika Rivera in the spring of 2005 and they actually had a daughter, Sophia the next year. Their relationship, however, would not last very long. And Erica gave her reasons for leaving Gatti, and she said he was too paranoid and was always falsely accusing me of infidelity. He was punchy from being hit in the head, and we all felt bad for him because he was depressed and confused all the time. I left because we couldn't get along. It's hard to come to an agreement with someone who can't even agree with himself. Now, not long after Gatti and Erica separated, he then goes on to meet a 21-year-old student by the name of Amanda Rodriguez while dog-walking. That was what Gatti told everyone, but the real story that many people hold to account is that they actually met at a strip club in New Jersey where she worked as an exotic dancer, with former employees actually verifying that story. Now, Amanda denies ever working there and even went as far as to take legal action but a photo of her in the club wearing a bikini has continually fueled the speculation that she did work as an exotic dancer in that particular club and that is where Arturo Gatti met Amanda Rodriguez. I think it's a pretty apparent. I wouldn't say she she can say what she wants. I think you can deny it. I'm, I believe she wasn't on the employer's records, but employees say she definitely went at the end of the day. I believe that I don't think there's really much you can say about that. I think she, she definitely was uh, an exotic dancer. So on July 14, 2007, now Gatti had his last fight and his fight came against Alfonso Gomez. 
with Mickey Ward, obviously that, that trilogy we spoke about, Mickey Ward had, had ended up in his corner. Uh, he was his trainer and he, he fought against Gomez with Mickey Ward in his corner and it didn't work out well. Basically, he was stopped in the seventh round. Now, after the fight, Gatti announced his retirement in the dressing room. Reportedly, quipping, I'm coming back as a spectator only. So, Gatti obviously decided it was time to finally hang up those gloves and he retired with a professional record of 40 and 9 with 31 knockouts. He will always be remembered as one of the most exciting fighters of his era. And if not many eras, I mean, he was a great fighter. He could have stuck to any era and he would have been brilliant to watch. And Lou DiBella called Gatti a human highlight film. And I think he's pretty right on that one. And, and one of Gatti's co-promoters, Dino Duva, described Gatti as a complete package with his good looks and exciting fighting style. When you put all that together, you have something truly special, said Dino. Now, one month after retiring from the ring, Arturo married Amanda at the Grand Canyon. And days after they visited a New Jersey lawyer to tear up a copy of their prenuptial agreement, an agreement that left Amanda with nothing if they ever got divorced. However, Gatti made sure that the prenup remained valid. And he actually even contacted his lawyer the year he died to send over a copy when their relationship hit the rocks. Now, in 2008, they had a son, Arturo Jr. During retirement, Arturo began to purchase property with the millions of dollars he had earned as a professional boxer. And in April 2009, things started to take a little bit of a turn for the worse because he was arrested and charged for assaulting his wife, Amanda Rodriguez. The following month, he missed a court date, which led to another arrest at a Montreal strip club where he was reportedly celebrating his birthday. Now, after spending a few nights behind bars, he was released on a $2,000 bail and a promise not to consume drugs or alcohol and ordered to stay 200 yards away from Amanda. I'd say his relationship with Amanda's pretty much fallen by the waistline, but they were a bit on and off still. Obviously, you know, he had the son and I think that was his problem that he didn't want to lose contact with his son. Now, during the summer of 2009, Arturo Gatti travelled to northeast Brazil to see if he could rekindle his marriage with Amanda. And they went on a, a second honeymoon, they called it assaults. They'd been staying at the Porto de Galina, a seaside resort in Pernambuco near Recife with their one-year-old son, Gatti Jr. So on a second honeymoon with their, with their one-year-old son, on tow. Now, during the evening of July 10, the couple got into a domestic spat outside a pizzeria following a meal out earlier in the evening where Gatti actually consumed. Again, I'm not sure if this is Amanda saying this or if maybe people within the restaurant that, that mentioned it, but he consumed apparently seven cans of beer and two bottles of wine. Now, by Amanda's accounts, Gatti wanted her to join him for more drinks at the local bar, but she refused. This angered a very drunk Gatti, who then retaliated by pushing Amanda to the floor in front of a large crowd that had gathered in and around the area. Now, Amanda recalls that he wouldn't let me take my son. So, she left him. So, Gatti was now pissed out of his face with his one-year-old son who was asleep in the buggy. So, she decided to leave Junior with Gatti while he was still asleep in his stroller and went back to the hotel room. And a crowd obviously had witnessed the assault that he had pushed Amanda over. And they attacked Gatti in response. He was hit with vists, rocks, 
and apparently even a bicycle was thrown at him in his back. All this happened while his son was asleep in the rally, which is just crazy. Now, he did fight back in a rage, apparently. There are witnesses that said that Gatti fought back and managed to push a few of them off. That was the evening of uh, July 10 in 2009. Crazy. It's a very crazy evening. And obviously what would follow would be even more grisly. And we're going to go further in to how deep this really went. And these are all witness-based accounts and information that was provided in reports that were made to the police. So sometime later, Gatti returned to the hotel with Junior. While he was cradling his crying son and barring the remarks from the attack, he asked Amanda, I guess it's over then, huh? She responded, it's over, before heading to bed. Just before sunrise, Amanda made her way down the stairs to get Junior a bottle. When she caught Gatti, in only his underwear, lying in a heap on the floor. Now, she didn't find this unusual because this was something that she said Gatti would do after drinking so much the night before. She was obviously still visibly and clearly upset with him and, and still in that frame of mind where the marriage was over because of what had happened the previous night. Surely, most you know reasonable people would say, you know, that's that's it. But seeing him there on the floor, you would have thought that it's quite possible she would have just put a blanket on him or she would have just checked he was okay now around nine in the morning amanda made her way back down the stairs to say her goodbyes now this time she went over to gatty and actually shook him and he was cold face down a circle of blood around his head and a knife nearby and amanda recalls aturo i forgive you please wake up please wake up aturo she began to scream my husband's dead my husband's dead please somebody help me well, I, I, I mean, straight away, I mean, the, the one thing you see in the documentaries, they say, why, you know, you see him, you know, why didn't you go over to him? And But when she first see him, and, and yet she didn't, she sort of caught see him in the corner, because like, she was still pissed off with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe just, I mean, he's there in his underwear. I mean, I don't know. And I don't quite see that, don't fit right with me. But then she did come back down, and then obviously, as you say, she, she obviously finds find him dead. So, yeah, really quite chilling straight away so obviously you know loads of question marks now and once the authorities arrived Gatti was pronounced dead on Saturday July 11 2009 he was only 37 years old Amanda was removed from the crime scene before being questioned Arturo Thunder Gatti was found dead today in an apartment in Brazil Gatti was on a second honeymoon with his wife and 10 month old baby he was discovered with blood stains on his neck and the back of his head. Few details are being released, but foul play is suspected. On July 12, 2009, Amanda was arrested for the murder of her husband, being the only primary suspect. The Brazilian police assumed Amanda had strangled her drunken husband. This would have given her the strength to overpower him. That's what they felt. There were strangulation marks on his neck that had been caused by the blood stained purse strap found at the scene. Now, it's her purse strap, by the way. There was no sign of forced entry, and the electronic locks on the door confirmed that no one other than Amanda and Gatti had entered the property. And the lead investigator of the case, Moses Tixira, told the press that it was technically impossible for a third person to have been in the flat, and he continued to say the investigation isn't finished, but we continue to think she did it alone. 
crazy, isn't it? Really, when you think back to what was happening around that period of time. So I, what I don't understand about the whole situation is, uh, firstly, when she seen him in that inebriated state, why didn't she check on him? If she knew he was inebriated, if she knew he was on the floor face down, surely you would have gone and checked on him to make sure he'd not puked up and choked on his own puke. I mean, that'd be the first thing you'd go and do. So the fact that she then goes back up the stairs, go and tends to the sun, comes back down and realises actually there's something seriously wrong here. And then the most compelling evidence about this whole scenario is the fact that they're saying, the police are saying, that nobody else could have got into that flat. There are electronic locks on the doors. How else would they have got into that flat? Now, we'll go into a bit more detail as we go along, but I think it starts to lead you to believe that she is the prime suspect for the murder, because that's how the Brazilian police saw it at the time. Now, on July the 11th, main event CEO Kathy Duva was standing in the kitchen when she received a phone call from Rick Reno of Boxing Scene, and he asked, did you hear the news? And Duva recalled that she thought it was a hoax. She travelled to the Prudential Centre in Newark to a fight between Thomas Adamek and Bobby Gunn, while Gatti's manager and close friend Pat Lynch was in Italy. While at the fight... She broke the news to get his friends as she saw them, and by her accounts, one of his friends said, she finally killed him. Duva said, this was their reaction, the people that were closest to him. Gatti's younger brother, Fabricio, had said the same reaction when he heard the news. The first thing that popped into my mind is she killed him. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that was uh, obviously going away from situation in Brazil there and moving on to those that, that knew him and, and it's just really I think that's something we needed to, to, to make sure we point out to the listeners is that the whole family and friends just just ironic that two different guys who didn't know each other had the, the same reaction which is again it's, it's actually quite interesting it's very interesting and so obviously Amanda was now in prison so she pleaded her innocence while being held in prison pending the investigation now she believed that either Gatti took his own life or that someone had entered the hotel room and murdered him while she slept. In Brazilian law, the police can accuse a person of a crime, but the prosecutor is formally responsible for filing a charge. Therefore, the police had 10 days to compile their evidence and share their facts with the prosecutor. Now, while in prison and awaiting a charge, Amanda wrote a letter to the press on July the 15th saying, I am innocent and I know that this will be proven in a few days the people most important to my life who know us know the size of our love what hurts me is knowing the suffering of my family and friends what hurts me is to know that my husband will not be in my house waiting for my return now amanda's sister flavia also got in on the act by using the press to prove her innocence in an interview with a tv journalist at a recife news station she said amanda told us she didn't kill arturo and we believe her my sister, like us, is very religious and she would be incapable of killing anyone. And Flavia then spoke with a Brazilian newspaper, Folila de Sao Paulo, arguing that her sister could not have strangled Gatti due to her size. Amanda's lawyer, Celio Avinlio, repeated the same dispute. She is fragile, young and skinny. How could she kill a boxing champion? Oh, I mean, my initial thoughts are that if he's intoxicated and completely out cold, I'm sure you probably could. Um, I don't think there's any question in my mind. If you're that out of your face, 
any, you know, anything could happen to you. anyone. A, a young child could do that to you. In a surprising turn of events, police in Brazil have now ruled boxer Arturo Gatti's death earlier this month was a suicide. His wife, Amanda Rodriguez, who had been accused of strangling the former champion, was released from jail. The judge who ordered her release said Gotti committed suicide by hanging. The couple was on a second honeymoon in Brazil when they got into a violent argument in public. Rodriguez says her husband was drunk and says maybe he thought she would leave him. A day later, police discovered the 37-year-old Gotti dead. At first, authorities said Rodriguez had strangled him with her purse strap as he drunkenly slept. But a coroner's report said Gotti may have killed himself since police found him suspended and hanged. So on July 30th, Almost this is the 10 days, or just, just after the 10 days, that the Brazilian police ruled Gatti's death a suicide, with police official Paulo Alberes telling a newspaper that Gatti used Amanda's purse strap to hang himself from a hotel room staircase. A police spokesman, Melina Cerevia, said the case has been resolved. While the evidence at the scene first led us to think Gatti was murdered, the autopsy results and a detailed crime scene analysis simply pointed to a different outcome. Now, the autopsy was also by no means conclusive. Another topic of debate, which is something that I suppose on Manda's side of thought up, is that the British Medical Journal, now this is a loss apparently can precipitate suicide. They call it the widowhood effect or something, some crazy thing. I didn't go too much into it, but it's a strong association with or between a spousal bereavement and death. So it was just a way of saying that this widowhood effect is a reason for him to have wanted to take his own life because uh, he's going to lose his wife. That's basically what... We'll go into that in a little while, but that was their side of it as well, Amanda's side of it. She's going to leave him half the reason why he decided to commit suicide. So Gatti was buried by his family in Montreal. But a few hours before, the Brazilian police announced that they had changed Gatti's cause of death from homicide to a suicide and released Amanda from prison. He was celebrated at a mass at St. John's, the Baptist Church in Jersey City, with 600 people present. Actor Mickey Rourke, fighters Mickey Ward, Tracy Patterson and Chuck Webner and Chuck Zito, the former president of the UNOC chapter of the Hells Angels. Zito actually had accompanied Gatti on a couple of his ring walks in the past. All of them were among the huge crowd that gathered to bid farewell to a true warrior. A word that epitomised Gatti's career in the ring and was tattooed on his stomach. DiBella brought the attendees to its feet when he told them, God knows that Arturo Gatti never quit in his life. Arturo Gatti did not quit in Brazil. Uh, interesting. So Amanda Gatti shared her own explanation after walking out of prison, smiling and waving and looking nothing like the bereaved wife. Again, I allude to the uh, 48 hour documentary. You can see it. It didn't sit right with me. It didn't quite look like she was sad in any way. It was just a strange. Uh, you don't know some people that sometimes they react differently. And this is what she said. I believe that when we got home, he saw he hurt me. He thought I would leave him. That would tell him to just let me go, that I would separate from him. He did that in a moment of weakness. He was drunk. Maybe he didn't know what, what he was doing. Maybe he thought I would leave him the next day. Now, it's hard to believe that a failed marriage this is, in my opinion now, 
would give Gatti enough reason to hang himself, leaving his two children fatherless, especially considering that their relationship was only a few years old. And also just the fact that just in that statement that she made, and it's, you can you can see it's on YouTube, just the amount of time she threw herself at it, I believe and I this and I that. She's a very self-centered person. And I just that, that was just the opinion that I had on her reading between the lines. I, yeah, it's something that just didn't sit, sit right with me with Amanda. It felt very strange that someone who had lost the love of the life, someone that who was the father of their child, regardless of whether there was an incident that occurred between them, regardless of what had happened between them, I'd still believe that in my... Again, this is just my own personal thoughts on the situation. I do believe there's, there's something more than just suicide here that's gone on. I do believe there's something more than that. But obviously, we're going to go further into what other people felt about this at the time. And anyone that knew Gatti, friends and family, would not and still cannot accept that Gatti would kill himself. His manager, longtime friend Pat Lynch, said he loved his children, travelling, enjoying his retirement. He was happy, upbeat and enjoyed life. He had too much to lose. He also later said, no way in a million years would Arturo Gatti commit suicide. Goronsky was adamant that Gatti did not take his own life. And he said, absolutely, 100% couldn't ever see him commit suicide. He loved life. If he was going to kill himself, he would have called me and said goodbye to me. And his brother, Fabrizio, has no doubts that his brother didn't commit suicide. And he said, I believe my brother got murdered. And you know what? Nobody's going to change my mind. My brother wasn't a coward like that, like other people are. When somebody commits suicide, you know what? They're cowards. They cannot face their problems. My brother, like the type of person he was, faced any problems. Now that is really interesting that every single person that knew Arturo Gatti so close had that to say. And his brother even went to the extreme of suggesting that he was murdered and that people that commit suicide are cowards, which is a bit of a harsh statement, of course. I'm not going to condone that particular statement myself, but he was obviously so strong about how he felt what had happened with Arturo Gatti that every single one of them felt like he didn't commit suicide. Every single one said that he loved life too much to want to take his own life. Yeah, but there were were many others as well. Uh, Originally, his brother Joe, he said the same. He said he just couldn't see it. Kathy Duva, she she didn't, didn't necessarily see say that uh, she, she didn't know 100%, like you never know, but she knew Gatti well enough to know that, you know, with his two kids, there was no way he was going to kill himself over a woman. And we had a couple of instances where he's fighting people over women. Again, that's more of a passion thing. I wouldn't say that, you know, it just, again, it just doesn't seem right. And I mean, we'll go into it and we can make our own minds at the end of this, but with pretty much all of Gatti's family and friends unable to accept the case to be closed, now, they decided to make the first step of requesting a second autopsy with the original stating that Gatti may have committed suicide. It was never conclusive, as we said earlier, which was failing to rule out that he may not have been murdered. Now, Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Lawrence Cannon, formally asked the Brazilian authorities for further information about the case. After supporting the family's request, the second autopsy was performed by coroners from Quebec, Michael Baden, 
the former chief pathologist of the New York State Police and host of the te- television show Autopsy, also participated in the family's request. Now, on August 1st, 2009, Dr. Baden issued a statement that concluded this. There were some surprises. The first surprise was that it was a partial autopsy and not a full autopsy on the first autopsy. Uh, partial autopsies are unusual in suspected homicides and cannot definitely determine the cause of death. The second was that there were some important findings. There were definite injuries that had not been seen by Brazilian authorities. But one needs all the information, including the toxicology report, which is not available yet, to be able to come to the conclusion as to whether it's a homicide or a suicide. The full results of the second autopsy were released by Quebec coroner Jean Brochu. Much of the debate surrounding the circumstances of the death revolved around the question of whether a third party was involved in Gatti's death. The conclusion of that Montreal pathologist to the effect that there is no clear evidence of foul play in Mr Gatti's death. It means I cannot dismiss the formal conclusions reached by the authorities of the country where it occurred. The methods used by the Brazilian investigators in examining the scene of Arturo Gatti's death can raise doubts, and so that the circumstances of death cannot be determined with certainty. Now, pathologist Martin Aberte found carries a prodol in Gatti's system, which is a muscle relaxant that is sedating and habit-forming, and with withdrawal symptoms including anxiety, confusion and psychosis. Now, Laberte said that the presence raised questions about Gatti's mental state when he died. So, from the second autopsy wow. again, there's still no clear evidence around how he passed away and whether there was a third party involved or not. There's Nobody can, can conclusively say that this was definitely a suicide and that it wasn't a murder. There's no conclusive evidence there from that. No, there isn't. So you've got the, the police, the Brazilian police, have been a day obviously felt that there was nothing conclusive to to keep a man down and, and arrest her for murder. And two autopsies now, nothing proves anything. And now although the first and the second autopsy did not prove anything conclusive as to what happened to get in his final moments of his life, Brochu did put the theory that Gatti hanged himself to the test. Now, using a strap from Amanda's purse, Brazilian authorities hung a 35 kilogram weight from the strap. It snapped five seconds. Now, Gatti weighed 70 kilos. So how the hell did he manage to hang himself? If an autopsy could not prove there was enough substantial evidence to confirm exactly how Gatti died, and the law of physics proved that he could not have hung himself with Amanda's purse strap. Now, Pat Lynch's rationale was he was obviously drugged, then hung. Wow. So the test of weight against the, the purse strap was quite an interesting one, really. The fact that, obviously, Gatti was around 70 kilos and it snapped within five seconds of a 35-kilogram weight going up on it. So that is very interesting information straight away when you hear that. 
as to think, well, hang on a minute, how could Avatoro Gatti hung himself? He wouldn't have been able to fully commit suicide because it would have snapped on him and he would have landed on a heap on the floor. So then that leads you to believe that there's something else here at play. Now, it was Pat Lynch that put the wheels in motion for another investigation into the mysterious death of Gatti by turning to Paul Salino, who worked in the Department of Child and Family Services for the state of Illinois as a lead homicide and mass molestation advisor. He was a private investigator who'd worked on the Amanda Knox case and his partner, Joe Mora. Lynch was thrilled with their work, saying, Two of the biggest names in forensic pathology, an expert in forensic animation, an expert in human movements, a retired FBI agent, a doctor who is an injury and causation medical doctor, and an expert in injuries, and a criminal profile and criminal scene expert. They used police photos to physically and digitally reconstruct the crime scene to determine whether or not Arturo Gatti could have hung himself. Yeah, and that, that 48 hours documentary, that, that's, it's actually weird. They actually show you how they do it. It's really fascinating how they, they, they digitally reconstructed those, the, the crime scene. So when you watch them talking, it's really interesting because it does it like they're there. So after a detailed investigation, the team of experts staged a press conference, you know, I think it was in a boxing gym, to explain their results. Ladies and gentlemen, said Carolino, I would come back from the grave to prove this case as a homicide. Arturo Gatti was murdered. He didn't commit suicide. He was murdered, plain and simple. Then a Brazilian autopsy concluded that Gatti had hung himself from a staircase, as we mentioned, and hung there for hours. We just mentioned the, the weight issue, so something not quite right there. And they're saying he hung there for hours before it snapped, dropping Gatti to the floor under the stairs using a program of the digitally reconstruction of the crime scene. The investigators dropped a dummy the same size as Gatti Gatti from where he hung. According to Cellino, a thousand tries later, the dummy had yet to land under the stairs. Now, Alfred Bowles, the expert in human movement, said Gatti could not have landed under the stairs if he hung himself. He had to have had been strangled by someone else or his body would have to be moved or both. The problem with this demonstration was that fibres found on the railings matched fibres from the strap and not the banister where Corlinio's investigation hung the dummy. Now, this would make a significant difference because of the angle of the strap was positioned in a way that the dimensions don't necessarily align. So if he was from the buster, he would fall slightly different if it was from the railings. Again, I mean, we, we're talking about the with where he's fallen on the stairs after he hung himself. Again, I think the straight up question is, is I think it's pretty clear that he couldn't have hung himself because he wouldn't have taken his weight. So it's not that conclusive, but again, it is just, it's theory, isn't it? I mean, it is, again, I just don't believe it's possible that he could have hung himself with a purse. It just doesn't make sense. The purse strap was obviously the other point of interest. If he used the purse strap to hang himself, why was it a few feet away and not around his neck at the crime scene? To counter that argument, it could be down to the fact that the police removed it before taking the picture of the crime scene, which would be negligence by the Brazilian police, but plausible. Then there is the question about the head wound. Now, Chiellino's opinion was that 
he suffered that injury while being knocked unconscious to make it easier to strangle him. There was no blood on the floor, no blood on his back, no blood on the stool he supposedly used to hang himself. The only blood found was pooled around his head and on two towels that the police never analysed. And to counter this argument, he could have received those injuries while he was attacked before heading back to the hotel room. We refer back to the story earlier in the restaurant where he's been attacked by uh, onlookers to the incident that he had with Amanda Rodriguez. The taxi driver that picked up Gatti and Junior did say that he was bleeding heavily from his head. And he said, I look in the back seat and I saw there was blood on the back seat. It was a lot. The whole headrest was stained with blood. Chialino concluded that someone strangled Gatti and struck him on the head, but no one entered the room, so the only other person left that could have done it was his wife. And he said, it's got to be Amanda. Now, once the investigation was made public, Pernamucho's state prosecutor's office told the press that murder charges could be brought against Amanda in light of what this new evidence has revealed. Though, there is also a chance that the suicide verdict would be upheld. Yeah, that was, I mean, we're going on, as you say, a, a timeline here. And um, in terms of the actual crime itself, that is pretty much where it ends. I, I mean, I couldn't find any more. Again, if, if anyone d- does have any evidence or they want to shed some light with me and Sean, but we couldn't, we couldn't find anything. So it seems that that is how the case has ended at the minute. What's your original thoughts? I mean, this is just, it baffles my head because everything gets countered with, with a reasonable argument, especially with a taxi driver with a head. I don't know. I mean, I think for me, just the purse strap, just snapping, just sort of, that, that's what throws me every single time. There's too much inconclusive evidence. There's there's evidence for both sides as to whether this could have been a suicide or as to whether this could have been a potential murder. And at the end of, obviously, the episode, we'll certainly give our, our final thoughts yeah. as to what we actually think happened and how it actually went down. And again, these are only our personal thoughts. These are, are not based on any new information that we've been able to source. We, we've only been able to source as much information that is possibly out there. So moving moving on from from this particular point, and in an interesting twist, Gatti actually had his will rewritten very close to his mysterious death, leaving all his assets to Amanda, which of course gives a motive for murder. Now Montreal lawyer Bruce Moydell was responsible for drafting the final version of Gatti's will. And he testified in a civil trial saying that he remembers his meeting. And it was a normal, typical meeting for a young couple about to fly off and leave a baby behind with family. That was until Amanda became agitated because she felt that Gatti would eventually be unfaithful. So in an attempt to convince her, he requested that Moydell draft an agreement that stated if Gatti ever cheated on Amanda, he would have to give her a million dollars. An agreement that Moydell admitted he had never encountered before in nearly 50 years in the job. Again, this is where you turn the other way, and uh, family and friends uh, bear witness that Gatti changed his will just to keep Amanda sweet and, and appease the threat of Amanda leaving him and taking his son with her. Now, following Gatti's death, his family tried to annul the final version of his will in, in a Quebec's superior court, where a close friend, uh, Antonio Rizzo, testified in the civil court in 2011. And Rizzo said that the couple 
had a troubled relationship and that Gatty was worried about losing his son. He remembers Gatty telling him, she wants me to sign a Brazilian passport for him, but if she takes my son, I'll never see him again. He then went on to recall an incident witnessed at their apartment in Quebec saying Amanda hit Gatti over the head with a broom, smashed crystals all around him and told him to clean up the mess and calling him, in, this is his words, that she said to him, a loser and the only thing you're good at is bleeding. Your mother's a whore and your sister's a prostitute. Gatti's childhood friend also testified and backed up with her accounts of Amanda's temper, saying that she had a foul mouth and was bad-tempered. Now, remembering an incident where she actually gave Gatti a black eye and there is a police report that confirms his story. Wow. So that, wow. this is where it gets even more interesting now. So, first of all, as we go through the course of this tale, you're finding out that Arturo seems to be the one that's instigating a lot of the violence in the relationship. But it's at this point now that you find out, actually, Amanda also had a few skeletons in her closet as well. She was also a bit of a fiery-tempered bugger as well because she'd had a couple of incidents that we've just read out there where she'd not only hit him over the head with a broom, she's smashing the place up, she's calling him all sorts of names, she's she's provoking him, basically, and she'd even give him a black eye at one point. So this is becoming even more interesting at this point, giving him even more thought-provoking reasons as to, to why Amanda could have committed murder in this instance. So, during the civil rights case, concerns over Gatti's mental health issues began to emerge with his former girlfriend, Erica, who we spoke about earlier, stating that he attempted suicide by overdosing on cocaine, alcohol and prescription drugs. His brother Joe also told Irene Moraite in an interview on 48 Hours, I just hate to say it, but it came to this. The people need to know the truth. He was on drugs, he was on painkillers, and he was an alcoholic. I believe it, I believe it. That night in Brazil, he found himself in a dark place. Very interesting, man. And the fact that um, his wife, Erica, I mean, they this was in a civil rights court, and Amanda's lawyer did press her, and she did, you know, she, there was a statement to say that she did say it. She did come out and counter-state this, but obviously it wasn't in court. It was an interview with another boxing news. She said that she said things uh, in that original statement that they pulled up in this civil court. And she said it so she could keep her daughter. She felt that Katie was going to take her daughter, so she didn't make stuff up. She said he was addicted to pres- prescription drugs. She said that was his major problem because of the pain. He was always in pain. And, you know, she did, we did mention that as well, Vera, because she was saying he was having those spells where he was forgetting things and stuff, which is interesting. And because the fact is, we then move on to the fact that there were also concerns that Gatti was suffering from chronic traumatic emplasmopathy. I know it's CTE. <laughs> that's, what, that's what it is. It's a condition where the person's brain degenerates because of the brain injury from constant blows to the head. CTE is best known by its symptoms, which include depression, impulsive behaviour, emotional instability, substance abuse and suicidal behaviour. CT is a thing that obviously in the NFL, if, if no one knows about it, there was a study done on it and, and it, apparently several of the NFL players have had this, this issue where they do have these impulsive behaviours and, and depression, etc., which has actually drove some of them to go and commit suicide. So again, we're not saying that the CTE is the reason. It could be a part of it. I don't think it was a reason why if we did commit suicide. Again, these are just counter-arguments all the time. But every time you think 
maybe it's going one way, you get pulled back the other. By December 2011, the Quebec Superior Court Justice Claudine Roy sided against Ida and Fabricio Gatti in the civil rights trial that they brought against Amanda Rodriguez, awarding Gatti's estimated 3.4 million fortune to his widow. Amanda said she only cleared 2 million by the time the probate process was over. Now this pretty much is where the case concludes at this point. Now, there's a strong possibility that this case will be reopened at some point in the future, but at this time, it's down to us, really, to work out, in our humble opinions, based on the information that we've been able to source, the factual-based information, that is, was he murdered, or did he commit suicide? I'm sure at some point, there'll be more evidence that will come, and hopefully, the mystery will be fully resolved one day, but at this moment in time, the question remains, did he commit suicide or was he murdered? It's really hard because, you know, it happened in a foreign country. It's, you know, there's really not much cooperation down there. They did what they felt was their investigation and uh, it's kind of closed on their end. And there's so many conflicting stories. No one really knows the truth of what happened, but... You know, I I believe in my heart no one knew him better than me in his adult life. I can guarantee you that Arturo Gatti didn't take his life that night in Brazil. He was killed. He was murdered. I never believed it, that he he did that. Took his own life. Never. He had a son that he loved to death. He had a daughter, Sophia, that he loved to death. Two kids. He, He wouldn't do it. No way. You don't see it. Seeing the pictures, which were difficult to look at, and and, and he just, you know, he finally looked like this crumpled little guy. But you looked at it and you said, that's not Arturo Gatti, that's somebody else. Uh, because you will always remember him and Mickey Ward standing there in the middle of the ring, hugging each other, and then pow! And uh, that's the way I want to remember Oh, it's so tricky and there are so many elements to this whole story with Arturo Gatti and there were other stories we could have gone on all night with it where friends said that he was went to the strip club we know there was a certain gentleman in the strip club that I think he was the manager and he came in asking for a gun and he told him no you need to go and get some help what's that wrong with you and he said that if I had been a gun that night he would have killed himself and then you had Joe his other brother that said he believes now that um, that he did commit suicide and he said that when he see Amanda he still has ties with Amanda and he actually sees uh, Gatti Jr. as well he wants to keep in contact with him and um, they've got a good relationship and he, he doesn't believe that she did it so I, I really don't know I think she's a very self-centred money-grabbing piece of shit that's my honest opinion of her I think when you hear her in, being interviewed as such I think it's pretty clear I mean that's just again it's my opinion here I, I, I'm stuck with it I really am I think with the fact that the strap broke for me, I think that always just doesn't seem sit right with me. Unless the, the strap broke and he hit his head, that could have moved a drink and he was unconscious. Like you say, something, I don't know, something like that could have, but then it wasn't head trauma. They can't even give you an exact reason of his death. Was it hanging? He had marks on his neck and a bang on his head, which is apparently by a blunt, blunt object. So I don't know, it's, it's just really confusing. Um, I can see why the case is still open. I think if he, if he was murdered, I think it was Amanda. If he wasn't, then it was, I don't know, maybe accidental suicide because he was out of his face. I really don't know, Sean. I mean, I'm 
it's it's a really troubling one. It really is. The the conspiracy theory that I've heard about and it's been well publicised in the past few years is that the incident we referred to earlier where Gatti was arguing with her in the restaurant and they had a bit of a altercation in the restaurant which resulted in obviously the innocent bystanders getting involved and, and, and attacking Gatti. The conspiracy theory that's doing the rounds is that as a result of this particular incident, Amanda actually had brothers who were very well connected in Brazil and these brothers either killed Gatti, committed the murder and staged it to look like he'd committed suicide or they hired somebody to commit the murder on the orders of Amanda. And again, these are wild conspiracy theories. These are not accusations that we're making. These are conspiracy theories that are doing the rounds and still do the rounds today. But there's so many plausible reasons as to why Amanda will have wanted him out of the picture. There's so many reasons. But then there's also many reasons as to why if Arturo did take his own life, the other surrounding factors are also there to kind of back that up in some senses as well. So it is a very, very difficult situation and a very difficult one to determine whether or not he committed suicide or he was murdered. If I'm speaking personally on the situation, I'd like to think he didn't commit suicide because you don't get the impression throughout his journey, throughout his story, that he was the type of person to do that. Based on accounts from his friends, based on accounts from his manager, Pat Lynch, Mickey Ward, many, many people that have come out since he passed away and have blatantly said he would never have done that. They genuinely believed he would never have done that or... Alternatively, they refuse to believe that he would have done that. So it is a very interesting scenario with what's happened with his passing. But are we ever going to get a conclusion to this? I honestly don't know. I'd like to think that we will get a conclusion one day. But for me at the moment, my mind leans towards the fact that I think he was murdered. I'm, I'm with you because of the fact that the, 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 the financial element of things, the way that his will was drawn up and how it literally it, everything went to her. It was moments before he died. And it was also, I mean, it was, there was so much other evidence that we could have shredded light on. And, you know, one of his friends in particular had a, had a voicemail message and it was from, kept it for years. And it was the moment when uh, I think they tried to rekindle their relationship originally. And, and he was like, no, this ain't working. And um, that was it. But then afterwards, he knew he had to go to Brazil. He had to go to Brazil because he wanted to make sure that he kept his relationship with his son. I think he was in a difficult situation. And I think he did go out there. I said, someone should have probably gone with him, 100%. And I did hear that story as well with the brothers. I mean, that was the original story that I had drawn up in my head. Um, it's not until we started doing the investigation that I started to realise that Maybe that isn't the case. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's definitely plausible. Again, I mean, we know the Brazilian, certain areas of Brazil are well known to be uh, very mob-handed, if you like. And there are plenty of people that would have murdered Gatti for, for pettance. And the fact that the door was locked on the inside, she could have locked the door. She could have been involved. I think if he was murdered, I'm not quite sure if she did it. But I think if she was murdered, as you say, someone must have been in that room. And I think the police did a bad job in that crime scene. So if it had been in another country, I think we may have got a different result. Yeah, it really is just really unsettling and just an awful way 
for Fugetti today. He was a warrior and well known to be a warrior, a solid warrior in the ring. And I think outside of it as well, I don't think he was the type of guy that would, I think he'd go out on his shield. He wouldn't want to just commit suicide. I think if anything, he would get into an altercation and get hurt. I, I'm with I'm siding with the fact that I think he was more murder than suicide. I am. But there are still elements to it where I'm not quite 100% sure. And I'll always go back to the fact that the autopsies never really conclusively gave us the evidence to determine whether it was murder or whether it was suicide. Very conflicting reports about that. And that's what leads me to believe that there's something more at play here. There's something that has has yet to be found out about this case. And I do believe that one day it will emerge and maybe this will be something we can go and revisit years down the line if any more factual-based evidence does emerge. But for now, as it stands, they ruled his death as a suicide, whilst we do genuinely believe here that this was a murder that took place and we've given our reasons as to why we think it took place. And I'd be very interested to hear the thoughts of the listeners. So if you've heard all the episode now and you've had your theories in your own mind of what's actually happened we would love to hear them give us a tweet at darker underscore side underscore pod and let us know what your thoughts are on this Uh, 140 characters is all you get on twitter so of course if you need to do it in a series of (laughs) tweets get it on there and let us know but we would really like to know what other people's thoughts are on this again i must reiterate that this is our personal opinion of what we believe's happened we haven't got all the factual based evidence and there isn't the factual based evidence out there to confirm that this was a murder as it stands it's been ruled a suicide the family of gatti and friends of gatti have not let it lie so it will be very interesting one day to see whether this case does get fully resolved and whether we can truly find out whether Otto gatti committed suicide or whether he was murdered yeah, it was uh, fascinating, really fascinating, uh, considering the other darker sides we've done where they've been um, pretty open and shut cases, whereas this one has left us guessing. Yeah, it is a tragic story of Otoro Gay and, and one that um, I will be, we'll be both looking forward to hearing more evidence to it. And, and I think, if anything, might come to light, it's the family and the friends pursuing it. And also, if, if another murder comes up in a similar way, sometimes that's, that tends to happen is when you hear of a murder that sort of happened kind of similar and, and, and a better job's done by the police and then they're able to reopen the case and look at it in a different way or maybe other or forensic evidence. Maybe, maybe they, they, they have some sort of evidence there that they've not sort of checked yet and, and it could come through that there's a reason, a more clear reason as to what happened to Gatti that night. Oh, a dreadful end to Gatti's career and, and, and life. And it's just... Uh, Yeah, really sad, sad ending. If you've enjoyed listening to the story of Arturo Gatti and his grisly demise in Brazil, then of course, please go and let us know on Twitter at darker underscore side underscore pod and go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and leave us a review. A big shout out to the two guys that have been on there this past week and left us a review on our first episode, The Mysterious Life and Death of Charles Sonny Liston. That was Hamed Zaman was one of them who left us an absolute fantastic review. We really, really appreciate it. And all the way from Australia, we had Diggers X who also give us a rating on there. So thank you so much to you guys for doing that and to all the other guys that have rated and reviewed the podcast so far we truly appreciate all your support and we hope 
that you've enjoyed this episode of The Darker Side of Boxing. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.